Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 33 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today, I am excited to introduce you to a writer who is in the middle of working on a book called Life-Saving Divorce. Her name is Gretchen Baskerville. This book is not released yet. It's coming out early 2020. Gretchen just recently did a workshop within the Flying Free membership group where she talked about a, a three-month plan, a 90-day escape plan. And it was excellent. Um, and I asked her to come back and talk about the subject of singleness because I found out during that workshop that she had been single for 20 years. So she was divorced and then single for 20 years prior to getting remarried again. And it was so fascinating to hear her talk about her single years as being such a blessing and a time of great growth and thriving. And I, I thought, wow, there are many women who are getting divorced or already divorced who I think could benefit from hearing her perspective on singleness and some of the things that she did and some of the mind shifts that she had that brought her to that place of thriving. So welcome, Gretchen, to the Flying Free Podcast. Thank you, Natalie. I'm glad, glad to be uh, interviewed and uh, glad to talk about this topic. Okay, let's dive in. Um, I am wondering if you when, you, first, when you first got divorced, did you think that you were going to be single for that long? Because you were pretty young when you got divorced. Right, right. I'll, I'll be honest. If you had told me back when I was 35 years old, when I filed for divorce, that I would be single for three years, I might not have filed. And if you had told me I'd be single for five years, I'd be curled up on the floor in fetal positions. Oh, yes. Life. And I think a lot of women can relate to that for sure. <laughs> in my, you know, my Christian upbringing, going to a conservative church all my life from infancy, the idea of not being married was, you know, unfathomable. Mm -hmm. So I had done everything right. I mean, I truly loved God. I loved the Bible. Even as a kid, I was in youth choir and Christian club at my public high school, and all my closest friends were Christians. Uh, my parents were genuine believers. I, I met a guy in my church singles group. We did all the things the formulas say we should do. You know, my boyfriend asked my dad if we could date, and on and on and on. I was a virgin when I married, you know, the whole bit. Right. So I had all these messages that I just, everything in my life was centered around being married, getting married being married, being a wife and mother, which was great. Um, but um, uh, that doesn't work so well when you go through a divorce. And uh, I was, I would say I was numb for the first six months. You know, I just lay in bed and read books. And, you know, I did have to, I did have a little home-based business. So I did have to, you know, get things done, but I was like on autopilot crying at my computer and um, the, the woman who came in part-time to help me, would, you know, just would, would pat me on the shoulder and I would keep crying. Aww. But my kids were um, preschool age and I just had very little emotional strength to give and the poor things would follow me from room to room and I loved them so much. But uh, I was, you know, really exhausted, and I was just hanging on to Jesus for dear life. And um, so the, for the first, 
for the first year, you know, I had all the, all the fears that everyone else has, all these lies kind of get into your mind. They sort of engulf you, you know, like I've got the black cloud over my head and the, the red D for divorce on my forehead. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a failed Christian and nothing good will ever happen to me. And my kids will be emotional basket cases and juvenile delinquents. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I just, you know, I know it's what, you know, and, and p- frankly, people like to threaten you with that. Exactly. Um, and it's, by the way, that's completely wrong, but uh, we'll get, we'll get to that. I want to talk about <laughs> that. Um, but, um, you know, I just felt like I had missed God's plan A and B and, you know, I don't know, I was somewhere near plan ZZ and I just felt like <laughs> a total failure. <laughs> so, um, you know, it took me to the end of my first year to really start to smile and to be able to have like a really good belly laugh every once in a while. Mm. And about at the two year mark, I felt like I was turning a corner and that everything would eventually you know, be okay. I was starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it took me about three years to get back, um, you know, to at least emotional normal. Um, but I found, um, I found this Bible verse that has become sort of what I call my divorce <laughs> verse. It's Psalm uh, 71, 20 through 21. And it goes like this. Um, it's it's um, the psalmist speaking to God. You have made me endure many terrible troubles. You restore me to life again. You bring me back from the depths of the earth. You comfort me and make me greater than ever. Mm. And I thought, no way. There's no way God could make me greater than ever. I've lost everything. Mm. Um, And it turns out that God did make me greater than ever. I mean, that Mm. sounds a little, you know. No, I know what you're saying. I I get it. Okay. Okay. I just don't want that taken wrong. Right. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I felt that God, um, about somewhere in the middle of maybe year two or year three, I felt like God was calling me to something different. And I have no criticism whatsoever for women who remarry right away. I mean, if God drops someone in your life, go for it. But after a few years, I felt like God was calling me to stay single until my youngest child and my children were preschoolers around preschool age at the time uh, until my youngest child grew up and went to college. And I called this the 15 year plan. I mean, I felt that my kids were sort of the victims of a situation they didn't cause. And I owed it to them, you know, to, to put them first. So like I said, I don't recommend this for everyone, but for me, it was just right. And uh, I did finally remarry. I'm super happily remarried 20 years later. Um, and my kids are already adults with, you know, lives of their own. And and they fully embraced my new husband. I mean, not as a dad. They didn't need a dad, you know, by the time they were in their mid-20s. But they, they just, you know, welcomed him as a, as a great addition to our little happy family of three. Sure. So, so you know, that was... Um, yeah, no, I never expected this, um, but it's really worked out well for me. So what were some of the benefits to being single when you were, I mean, that's a long time yeah. to be single. What would you say, how did you look at that in a positive light? What are things that you're really glad when you look back on it, you just think, wow, I'm really glad that happened. Wow. Um, well, right off the top of my head, amazing spiritual growth amazing emotional growth. I mean, I I have people who are shocked and horrified that, you know, someone nice and smart and emotionally stable and attractive 
and physically fit, of course, I'm not very physically fit right now, could go for 20 years being single. I mean, why aren't you remarried? I had people actually asking me that. Um, I mean, for some people, they can't even imagine telling their friends they aren't dating anyone. And it seems like in, in, in my mind, um, at that time, in their minds, if you don't have a man, you're nothing. And that's what, that was one of the first myths I had to dump. Um, I mean, I know a woman who was dating a known cheater who told me she'd rather die than be single as long as I was. And I just kind of mm. <laughs> laughed at the irony. She'd rather be with a known adulterer. I mean, please have some self-respect. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I get it. As devout Christians, you know, we're just taught that, you know, you, we would be lonely and pathetic if we weren't uh, remarried or at least a couple. So um, you asked me what I've learned. Okay, so myth number one is you're nothing without a husband. You have no identity without a man. And, um, you know, we know there's plenty of women in the Bible who are heroines in their own right. I mean, Ruth and Deborah and Abigail and Dorcas and the midwives in the story of Moses. I mean, I, I read a ton of single woman missionary biographies. Um, so I knew that single women could change the world. And I met a lot of women raising kids by themselves who had inspiring and really amazing strength and courage that, um, I have to say this quietly, that I didn't normally see in married women. Hmm. And so um, I found a lot of inspiration from these women who had been single for a while. Um, myth two was that uh, women friends are just, you know, placekeepers until you find a man. You know, the women friends just aren't really that valuable. Boy, what an idiot I was. I was so wrong about that. Um, I met in my Sunday school class a woman who was raising four kids by herself with no child support. I was absolutely in awe of her. And, and sure, it was, you know, it was incredibly difficult for them. They had an old clunker car and a shabby little uh, apartment for five people. Um, but they were a loving family. And she and I got to be best friends. And every Saturday, we would walk together for an hour um, on the beach. She was an introvert. I was an extrovert. So we made sure that each of us had 30 minutes to talk about our lives. That's funny. <laughs> Smart <laughs> and, so, and sweet. It, it, was, it was absolutely wonderful. And we, you know, we prayed for each other. And we uplifted each other to the Lord. And then together, we started a group for other single women at our, uh, single mothers at our church. And this small group was unbelievable. I have never seen so many strong, courageous women mm. knocking it out of the ballpark every day. Um, so we had teachers, uh, a, a swim coach, a small business owner, a child care provider. Uh, paralegal. We had a homeschool mother, uh, a manicurist, uh, and a woman who was completely disabled. I mean, she she couldn't get a job. She couldn't work. Um, and this became um, kind of like a proud survivor group. I mean, we were our own community. We were heroines to each other. And so we shared our hope and experience with each other, and we prayed for each other. Um, you know, sometimes we helped each other financially. And when you do that every week, for years, I realized this is the best Bible study or Sunday school class I've ever been in. I mean, there was so much emotional closeness and caring. 
I mean, people would come to our group and cry for the first three weeks, and then they would sense God's presence, and they would start to feel that hope and that faith, and slowly the strength and courage would build up. Um, That's and beautiful. I have, <laughs> yeah, it was it was so amazing to me. It was something I never expected I would find. I mean, there really is a different dynamic with women friends, right? Because there's yeah. no sexuality to cover over the little slights. Yep. You know, we have to put effort in order to keep our women friends. We have to learn to behave well. We, you know, get a good glimpse of what we're really like inside. Uh, we have to learn to take turns paying for coffee. We have to hold up our end of the friendship. Again, there's not any of that um, kind of covert sexuality to kind of gloss things over. Our relationships really do have to be good, to be good. Um, and you don't get that in marriage. Um, it really forces you to, to you know, be a better person. Mm-hmm. So, um, so as you can imagine... Once I started dating again, I compared all the men to my close girlfriends. It is super easy to identify and ditch the losers because they don't hold a candle to your closest friends. You sense the lack of authenticity and the lack of integrity, you know, within the first two dates and they're gone. So I really, um, just the power of, of female friendship was amazing. And then I also realized I needed a lot of friends um, I needed friends who were interested in the same things I was. So I needed someone who loved photography. I needed friends who loved um, business because my little home-based business started growing. I needed someone um, who really loved books and fiction like I did, people to talk through with my ideas. So to ask one human being to be all that to us is really putting too much pressure on one person. I mean, we, we, we've kind of you know, we would laugh if a woman said, oh, well, my mother meets all my emotional needs. I mean, we would think she was sick, that we'd think that something was wrong with her. Right. But yet we, routine, we routinely tell ourselves that a husband has to meet all those needs. Mm. It's, just, it's just unrealistic. And, yeah. and we set ourselves up for failure. So that was one of the myths, you know, that, that um, I blew through <laughs> after a few years. I think, you know, myth three is, you know, it's really, I, I, I kept telling myself early in my divorce, oh, it's not a woman's job to fix the plumbing in the car and do outdoorsy stuff or plan vacations. Um, I really kind of felt a combination of sort of helpless, um, feeling like I needed to be rescued, and just kind of, kind of defiant, like this is not a woman's job. <laughs> um, but it's, um, it's amazing. Um, I finally watched a ton of YouTube videos and learned how to do basic home and car repairs. And I learned. <laughs> That's <laughs> <I> learned. great. <laughs> oh, the first time you do your first plumbing repair, you know, you watch the YouTube video like 10 times and then you go, I think I can do this. And the first time you do your first plumbing repair, you go, I am awesome. I can do this. I'm on the top of the world. <laughs> okay, I have to just, I have to break in here and say, uh, when I was in my single years, the, the uh, wash machine broke. 
And I, and I did what you did. I Googled it. I figured out what it was. I even figured out what part needed to be replaced. And then I went to look for that part online. I was going to buy it. I'd seen my ex-husband do this over and over again. So I knew that you could, you know, anyone could do this. Like, I'm not stupid. I can figure this out. Well, then I started, I started reading, uh, not articles, but I started watching other people say, when I found the part, I saw forums, you know, people were talking about it and they were saying, well, then you have to make sure this, it, it started getting really, really convoluted and complicated. And I realized I just, I finally, after spending a whole day trying to figure it out before I actually took the machine apart, I decided <laughs> at the last minute, I can't do this. So I actually did the opposite of you. And then I ended up calling a repair person, even though I, <laughs> I really couldn't afford to pay for it to get repaired. I just thought, well, I, I can't, I can't afford to not because I'm, I'm going to mess this up. I just know I am. So it can go both ways. If, if you're a listener and you, and you do try this, just it's okay if you're like Gretchen and you succeed. And actually I have to say, Gretchen, there were some things that I did succeed at. Just that was (laughs) overwhelming. The plumbing thing was just overwhelming. I had visions of water going all over the place and, Anyway, and then what would I do? And so anyway, but I am so proud of you, Gretchen. And I know that other women have done that and they've, you know, I was going to use a swear word, but I I won't. It's a good swear word, but I'm going to pass on that. So anyway. No, you bring up a great, uh, a great point that one of the benefits of watching all these YouTube videos and looking at stuff online is realizing when you're in over your head, okay, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to, you know. Uh, crawl under my car and do that. <laughs> um, but at least, you know what it does? It gives you the the phrases and the words and the descriptions of the parts, so that when you go talk to the mechanic, you can say, "I think it's this," or That's "I'm true. this kind of sound," and I'm not really sure what it is, but. You know, at least you sound more intelligent. Right, right. That's true. Because I did. I was able to talk to the guy who ended up coming in. And he did. He told me that I did get it right. I ha- what, what I thought was wrong with it was wrong. And he, you know, and it was the, the correct part. So I probably could have done it, but I just wasn't, I just didn't have quite enough confidence. But yeah, I, think I, was, I, I did experience some of what you did as far as the pride and feeling like, okay, you know, I, I am able to learn. I'm not dumb. I, um, you know, and it's okay also to have brought someone else in, but you know, it was, it was a sense of, there was a sense of feeling like I, I I'm going to survive, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you just develop more respect for yourself. Yeah. When you, when you take a little bit of time to get educated yeah. and, 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 and instead of feeling helpless and throwing up your hands and saying, someone please rescue me. You're taking, maybe you may not be able to take from step one to 10 to rescue yourself. But even if you can take one or two steps to educate yourself, know what the names of the parts are, be able to describe the, the sound you're hearing in your car, um, finding other people who have the same problem on forums. I mean, that's just, it's just great to do. I, yep. uh, we, we can cut this out if you want to, but I, I discovered that my car had a known defect. Well, then when, you know, when the, when the um, mechanic told me, oh, I have no idea what this is, I said, well, that's odd because the, you know, the 2013 Ladida um, <laughs> had a recall on this back in such and such a date. And I said, you know, maybe you should look into that. 
So, you know, you just, you know, being better educated right. um, is, is better. Okay, so myth four, you know, um, oh, I hate this one. Um, this is what we keep getting told in church, that marriage is God's best way of maturing a person. I mean, who came up with this? Right. Another myth created by people who want us to idolize marriage rather than saying, you know, as Jesus and Paul do, that marriage is not any better than singleness. And I get that, you know, that's not what we feel in our hearts, but you, you know what I'm saying. Right. Um, it, it is true that marriage can be a good way of maturing you, um, provided you're not married to someone dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's certainly not you know, the only way and nor should we believe that all married people are more mature than all single people. Right. Um, so, um, uh, I remember a time when my church was combining marrieds and singles in a small group to discuss, um, you know, the pastor's sermon that, that week. And in the early years, I felt so second class and I felt so filled with shame to be divorced. I actually sort of felt lucky to be included in a mixed group. Um, But once I got through the hurt and God really rebuilt my life, I realized that I was groveling in some, you know, misguided sense of unworthiness. And I was worth every bit as much as those married women. In fact, in a lot of ways, I was more mature than many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so don't tell me that married women are all wonderful and all single women are losers. It's just, you know, it's just on a case by case basis. So get rid of that myth. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, this one's going to be controversial. Myth five, that being emotionally close to men is emotional adultery. I mean, if you want to stop me here, you can. <laughs> oh, no, keep going. Uh, I just think this myth is complete baloney. And I, and let me just say right up front, of course there are people you cannot trust. I have met untrustworthy men. I have met untrustworthy women. But in 20 years of having close friendships with both married and single men, I was always able to weed out the bad ones. And I never had any trouble with the good ones. And it's all based on good boundaries. It's not, has nothing to do with gender. It has everything to do with character because there are bad women out there too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on character, not theology. So while most of my intimate friends were women, I did have a lot of men friends too because I worked in a male dominated industry. And I spent a lot of time with men. And as long as I was convinced that they were trustworthy, and they had to, you know, they proved that to me in every interaction. Um, I was happy to be quite close with them if, if one stepped over the line. And from time to time, I would say in 20 years, I really got disappointed with maybe three out of the maybe 30 or 40 men friends I've got. I, I was in business, so I, I was meeting with men constantly, mm-hmm. so... I realize if, if you're a stay-at-home mom or something, you won't have that many men friends, but I did. Um, men that I would see maybe anywhere from every day to three times a year. Um, and I, I probably did have three out of 30 or 40 men friends who did step over the line. And I just immediately distanced myself, you know. I, um, you know, a hug that maybe is just a little bit too long. Um, yeah, no, that's uncomfortable. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm out of there. Um, but as long as a man respected my boundaries, I had no 
trouble getting close with them. And I'm so glad I did because I really learned um, that men are very much like women in a lot of ways. They, they just want um, good, trustworthy, intimate, authentic friends too. Yeah. So um, <laughs> after 15 years, I was in a great situation for dating and I had become pretty good at friendship. I knew what a good person looked like and felt like. And so when I did start dating again, I, I didn't fall, I never had more than two dates with kind of a charming, clever uh, liar because I knew what authentic men really felt like. Um, and it wasn't as easy for them to seduce me and manipulate me and lie to me. Right. Uh, so. That, that's so good. I'm sure people, yeah, we could go down that rabbit trail too. Really? Um, <clears throat> so let's, let's end with what, what piece of advice would you give to a newly divorced woman who really wants to be married to a good man someday and is kind of struggling with what you did when you were first divorced? What would you tell her to give her hope or to um, give her a new way of looking at the whole situation? Yeah, I think, you know, make a list of your priorities would be good. Um, not everyone wants to remarry right away. I know a lot of women who don't. I just was talking to one last weekend. She says, no, I don't want to remarry. But for those who do, I think the first thing I would do is reject myths about what all men want. There are ter terrible people online who will tell you there's only one type of women, woman that all good men want. And that's just ridiculous. Mm. I found myself trying to twist, my, twist myself into being someone I'm not. Um, so you have to silence those old messages in your head. Um, so for, I'll give you an example. I come from a car family. I have always loved cars. I cried when my parents sold the first car that I remember from childhood. My father drove sports cars, not the super expensive ones, but more like the little pocket rockets. And so it's natural that I would love sports cars too. And my last three cars have been very fun cars. But I know that what people are thinking, you know, good Christian men don't want to see a middle-aged woman like that. And they don't find it to be attractive. Oh yeah. my goodness. Good Christian men don't like women who are confident drivers. Or they'll say, good Christian men don't want women who drive a car like that and attract attention to themselves. And no one will love you if you act like this. And boy, I had to really rewire my mind um, and get rid of that old thinking and kind of examine it and replace it. And this is what comes, you know, so my message is be yourself. Yes. I know it's an old cliche, but be yourself. There will be someone out there, I think, who will really love you. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, and you want them to love you, who you are. So if you try to be someone that you're not, they might fall in love with someone else. The person that you're, you know, pretending to be. I know, I'm, you know what? I am going to use the swear word I was almost going to use before. I was going to say bad, I was going to use the word badass. You know, you became badass. But so I'm picturing you, a middle-aged woman driving your badass car and, you know, and being a great driver and everything. And then here's the thing. I, my husband would call me, my current husband would call me a badass woman and he loves me for it. Like that's one of the reasons why he, wanted to spend the rest of his life with me because he 
loves who I am and I get to be exactly who I am. I get to be dorky. I get to be snarky. I get to be, um, I, I get to be, I am a lot for a lot of people. You know, I, I'm, some people have said I'm too much. I'm not too much for my husband because that's what he wanted. And he loves all of that. So do, if you feel like you are too much, you're too this, you're too that, because your ex-husband said you were too this or too that, um, that doesn't mean that someone else isn't going to absolutely be crazy about that part of you. And you should, yeah, I think that last piece of advice, Gretchen, was like perfect. <laughs> well, I keep telling my husband now. I did warn you before I married you that I was feisty. He says, "I love you, feisty," and he says, yes. I've, always, "I've always dated feisty women. I love that kind of woman." Yeah. So those those men are out there. They're good men. They're authentic. They're intimate, and they're looking for you. <laughs> they are. They are. I love this. This has been very, very encouraging. Okay. I wish we could go into like, I'm sure that some, I don't know if you, did you do any online dating? I'm going to open up that can of worms just, just briefly. Did you do any of that or? Yeah, I did. I did do some online dating. Yes. Okay. All right. So now that we've opened it, let's just talk about it just a titch. Did you, I mean, what did, what's your thought on that? I know, I I think the guy that you ended up with, you didn't meet him online. You met him actually prior. I met him uh, through a business contact. Okay. um, No, you know, I will say that um, that online dating obviously did not work for me. It did not work for my husband either. He had done some online dating and he says, you know, um, it it didn't work for him either. He never had a relationship that lasted more than three months. Okay. Um, But I have three girlfriends um, who've just married in the last three three years. I mean, and they found great guys online. I did not. Um, but you know, they were one, you know, they were all over 50. So we're not talking gorgeous anymore. Um, they, one was, one was too plump. One was too tall. One had too much baggage. One had a kid on opioids. I mean, there is somebody out there who you know, they're not worried about your baggage because frankly, they've got tons of baggage of their own. So, um, you know, while it didn't work for me, I'm not saying it wouldn't work for others. Right. Yeah. I know people too of who are in great marriages that they met online. Um, I was just curious what your experience was. And I, you know, my, I didn't think I was ever going to get remarried because I had nine kids and I also was 50 when I got divorced. So, um, or I shouldn't say I also was cause you were young when you got divorced, but I was 50. So yeah. I just thought, you know, no one's ever going to like, who's going to want me. Why would anybody in their right mind? Well, and who's out there? Every, every good guy is already happily married, you know, and the only ones that are out there right now are all the people like my ex who I would never want to marry any of them anyway. So I just kind of, I never, I didn't, but I didn't have time to think about it. Because while I was in the middle of my divorce process is when I connected with the man who's now my husband uh, on, lo- on Facebook, actually, bizarrely enough. So <laughs> you could say that's kind of like online dating, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and we just became friends. 
And it just kind of, it just developed over the, throughout the course of my divorce process, um, we became friends and he became very supportive and very kind and was a, a friend, like you were talking about just a really good friend and very authentic and very real. And, um, and because the divorce process took almost two years, well, by the time it was over, we were like, we were crazy in love with each other. So yeah. And I didn't, and he had been single his whole life. So here, so the point of my story, my little clip at the very end is to say that it doesn't matter how many kids you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your hobbies are. It doesn't matter what your job is or lack of job is. There is someone out there that, and I'm not saying there's this destined person. I'm just saying that there's a ton, tons of human beings out there. And many of them are dysfunctional. It's true. But also many of them are very good people and that some of them have never been married. Some of them have been divorced and they're, but they're good people and they're authentic. And, and I, I believe that if, if you want to find one, you probably would, the, ch- the odds are in your favor that you will. But I think, I think one of the key messages that I've heard from Gretchen throughout this whole podcast is that she had really good boundaries and she learned those boundaries through her single years and through her friendships. Even I thought that's a, you know, that was an unexpected benefit. I think from your female friends that you learned what really good relationships felt like so that you could actually tell and what really authentic people felt like so that you could tell whether or not a guy was that kind of person. And, and then you were smart enough to say after the first couple of dates, you know what, this is definitely not going to work. No matter how much you wanted to be married, no matter how much you wanted to be in an intimate relationship, it was not worth being with a jerk to get that for right. you. Right. So I hope that for everyone who's listening to that you will take good care of yourself and in doing so you will find what you're looking for. And so Gretchen, thank you so, so much for taking the time to be part of this podcast episode. And um, when your book comes out, let's do another interview so that we can talk about, about that whole subject, divorce, life-saving divorce, which is a book written for people of faith, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'm excited for that to come out early to 2020. And for those of you who are listening, um, if you, if this is the kind of thing that is in, that interests you, the, these topics that we talk about here, please go over to Apple Podcasts and give a rating and a review. That is how pe- other people will be able to find this podcast. So Gretchen, thank you so much for joining us. You're and to the rest of you, fly free.